This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for the winning percentage of Cy Young's six-game stint as the leader of the Boston Americans or the slugging percentage of Joe Torre's two at-bats while heading up the New York Mets, this is not the place. But if you're looking for the dirt on unchecked egos, self-serving moves, and players thrown into the deep end, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Jackie Micucci. And I'm Mark Butler. And today, we are going to double your pleasure and double your fun by exploring the renaissance men of baseball, the player manager. Welcome to Bad Hops. Meow. Meow, indeed. We're joined, at least for part of the podcast, by a cat. We are. Ironically enough, or not ironically, I guess it's more of a, a symmetry, or uh, I'm wearing my Let the Kittens Play, the Giolito Cat Foundation, and Rotoware. Love Rotoware. <laughs> That's one of those, hey, sponsor us and send us free stuff. I mean, just send me a free t shirt. I'd be happy with that. Okay. Um, Today, For those of you who forgot from the intro, from all those seconds ago, (laughs) we are going to be talking about the curious phenomenon of the player manager in baseball. I say it's a curious phenomenon because it doesn't happen anymore. It's once in a blue moon. It's Haley's Comet. It's a rare bird. Mark, you and I, in our lifetime, there were probably a couple of player managers. In total, there were 221 player managers but 215 of them played before 1960 and then only six after 1960. And I think the one you and I probably remember the most is Pete Rose because he was the last one. And I do not have the dates for him, but he was the last of his kind. And really the only one of his kind in, in retrospect. There's so many special things about Pete Rose. So of course he would be the last player manager. And he apparently was a very good player manager. So the two years that he was a player manager, the um, the Reds actually uh, performed pretty well, but he then retired after his two years as player manager and was just manager and they didn't do quite as well. So, you know, there's that. Well, they um, lost their best player. I think he would, that would be his contention, right? That, that would be like, his contention. You don't have Pete Rose anymore. You know why the player manager phenomenon started though, don't you? I have some theories. I think it was probably to save money. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. The bargain conscious owners They were like, hey, I'm getting two for the price of one here. I'm getting a player manager. I think it was Ben Douglas Jr., owner of the Middletown Mansfields back in the 1800s. He loved that you could get two people to fill the position for the price of one. So it became a thing. There were 172 through 1955. There was at least one player manager in the league. The height of the player manager came during the Great Depression, when in 1934, five of the eight managers in the NL were player managers. And it was also a drawing card, right? It was a, it was a draw because they would pick popular players like Cy Young, Ty Cobb, Honus Wagner. They were all player managers. So it was kind of a cool thing, right, to see these great players also managing Saving money, I think, is probably the big thing. But I did see the the whole notion that game attendance could be boosted by having popular players serve as player managers. And I really can't think of a more boring thing to watch at a baseball game than to watch someone manage a game. It's like, oh, I really came to see Ty Cobb today. Look at how he's sitting on the bench and he's checking a clipboard and 
oh my gosh, and he's telling people what to do. This is this is a dream come true. I saw Ty Cobb boss people around. I don't know. I mean, they, they seem to think it was a draw. So somewhere along the line, watching Ty Cobb make the double switch <laughs> um, <laughs> was somehow a fascinating thing. I'm not sure why, you know, it's different, different period of time, right? The game wasn't managed from, from the offices on high. It was actually managed on the field. So, you know, and I think you've told some stories about, was it, uh, was it Ty Cobb who, uh, who tortured some of his players? Oh, he t- tortured a number of his players, but especially our, our friend, uh, Dutch Leonard, the first. Exactly. You'll have to listen to, to that. That podcast where Mark goes into does a deep dive into the torturous relationship Ty Cobb had with Dutch. <laughs> the, the 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 magic of the player manager right there. Exactly, it is definitely definitely a thing. You mentioned the Middletown Mansfields, and I just mm-hmm. want to shout out that the very first ever player manager was from the the Mansfields in 1872, John Clapp. We all remember the great contribution that he made to the game of baseball by being the first player manager. There you go. First player manager. Well, of the 221, who's your favorite? There were so many names on there and there were so many old timey guys. There is a few of them that had some amazing reputations off the field. But I mean, I'm going to have to say for me, it was probably Joe Torrey because I remember when he was a player manager. It It was the end of his career and it was kind of fun to see him trying to get the New York Mets in lines. And it was interesting because then somewhere along the line, Joe Torrey would become a very famous just manager, manager, a uh, very successful manager, manager, got him into the Hall of Fame. But yeah, I would say it was, it, it was Joe Torrey. Honestly, I don't know enough about these guys that were playing back in the day. It would have been great if we could have, have had footage to see what it was like for Honus Wagner or Ty Cobb to manage, like what they were doing, how they, how they handled in-game management. Because from a baseball nerd perspective, I think it would have been cool. Thinking about smaller ballparks, let's say that your stadium only held 2,000 people. You would be up close and personal to a famous player, even if he was sitting on the bench telling people what to do. And I bet you would get to tell that famous manager what he could do as well in a small ballpark. Oh, yeah. He would he, he would hear you. He would hear the quote-unquote advice that was being yelled from the stands. So, yeah, I think that, that was probably the appeal, too. It's back before you were watching, well, at least for a chunk of it, back before it was common to be able to see, uh, to have TV and watch games. All of this was prior to, to even radio. You know, radio, you're not really seeing what's going on, but you could definitely take some jabs at good old Ty. What's he doing? Is he putting himself in the game now? Although now that's sort of now detracting from the potential allure of this, because if all of your baseball information came from reading a box score in a newspaper, how fascinating would it be for you, the baseball fan of 1890, to look at something and say, well, that's that so-and-so came in and managed the game. I don't know. I, I get it. We have seen it. It was a way to prolong players' careers. For sure. And and to help them transition in into the the afterlife of baseball, which is some sort of front office or dugout job. Before they uh end up with a, a car dealership or That's selling right. insurance. That's right. <laughs> selling Mr. Uh, Coffee. Sorry. Exactly. I have some ones that I have a fondness for in in doing research. The first one I want to shout out has nothing to do with his stint as a player manager. It's just as a manager, but I just want to be able to say the name Eddie Stanky. 
Was he any good or you just wanted to say his name? I just, I, yeah. No, Eddie Stanky was just the manager manager of the Texas Rangers in 1977. Do you, are you familiar with his tenure in the, the mid-70s in, in sure. Arlington? Sure. Sure? Not at all. I have no idea. No, not at all. He was the manager of the Texas Rangers for 18 hours. <laughs> Did someone get hurt? Did someone have to go deliver a baby? What happened? He won his first game. Okay. And then apparently... Had second thoughts about leaving his adopted state of Alabama and resigned after a mere 18 hours on the job. One of the shortest managerial stints in MLB history. I'm going to find out what the shortest one is. Interesting. I feel like this might be the William Henry Harrison story of of baseball, that somebody caught pneumonia on opening day and died mid-game. And what year is this again? That was 1977. 1977. So did it inspire Sweet Home Alabama, the song? Is that The movie. The movie. <laughs> wow. I did. Yeah, I did find some other uh, oddballs mm-hmm. that I just want to give a shout out to. Mostly, again, an excuse to say their names. Kaiser Wilhelm, I think probably best known for his, his ruling of Germany. He was also <laughs> a player manager for... So multi-talented. Very, very multi-talented. He was the player manager for the Philadelphia Phillies in 1921. As we're going to learn, most player managers did not exactly have the best record in baseball. Maybe they were a little distracted. I don't, I don't know. There's a quote from September 1921 from the New York Times about Wilhelm's management and his team overall, mm-hmm. where they say, every day is Labor Day for the Phillies. The Quakers oh. were in perfect stride during both contests and demonstrated they can lose as easily and dexterously on a holiday as on any other occasion. Wow. So sick burn from the New York Times in 1921. Yeah. Who else do we have? Oh, Lip Pike. Again, I just, if I can say the names, I can go to bed happy tonight. Lipman Emanuel Lip Pike, the Iron Batter. So many lips in there. So many lips. (laughs) He was the player manager for both the Hartford Dark Blues and the Cincinnati Reds. And he could have had a lip balm sponsorship. He probably should have. He could have been the the chapstick man of the late 1800s. He could have. He was the first Jewish manager in Major League history. Oh, wow. And therefore the first Jewish player manager in Mm -hmm. baseball history. Reading his biography really touched me. After he left baseball, he turned to haberdashery. Who doesn't love haberdashery? It's right up there with being a milliner. Yeah. And who doesn't love turning to it? (laughs) Haberdashery. It's like he got a job making hats. Nope. He turned to haberdashery. He was actually, after he retired, he got one more chance at the age of 42. And he was the oldest player in baseball in 1887. Kind of like Nelson Cruz now. Kind of like Nelson Cruz. Yeah. Or or Jamie Moyer from not too long ago. He, He played for the New York Metropolitans. But he only played one game, and then he headed back to haberdashery once more. I mean, it's just cool to say I'm in haberdashery. Should we just do tongue twisters and limericks for the rest of the episode? Because I feel like that, that's where I'm I just like I'm saying habit, haberdashery as yeah. many times as possible. Those were some of the oddballs that I turned up. But I mentioned that they didn't always have the best performance. A lot of these guys were only a player manager for a season. Mm-hmm. There were only a few that that really made it for a multi-year tenure. 
Cap Anson was one that I found that was actually a, a, a player manager for 20 plus years. So he, he the one who was with the White Stockings? Cap Anson was the player manager for the Philadelphia Athletics. Okay. He is best known for his work with the Chicago Cubs, which is where he had 21 years. So he was a kid when he started. He had to have been because he didn't finish when he was 500 years old. I think as we see now, as we go through time and we get into the 60s and 70s and 80s, we see old men at the end of their tenure mm -hmm. getting a chance to, to have it all for for a couple of seasons. I want to discuss some of the dynamics of mm -hmm. what a manager would do versus what a player would do. And when you put them together, just so it doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. So today, we're going to be looking at some of what I consider classic matchups with player managers and some of the core battles. We'll be looking at managers versus their their own teammates and managers versus umpires, managers versus upper management. And we're going to dig into each one of those and all of the incumbent things that come with it, like ego battles and one last grab for glory and things like that. The first one is managers versus their teammates. Can you trust a player that's also a manager to do what's right for the team? Or is he going to do what's right for himself? Obviously, this depends on the person, right? But when you're talking about some of these guys like, you know, Ty Cobb, Honus Wagner, we're talking about very famous, very storied careers. These guys are Hall of Famers. There's ego. There's wanting to make sure your stats are getting padded or being boosted. I think it's tough, right? I mean, it's a fine line because you lose the, the locker room. You're not going to be a very good manager, right? Your players are going to rebel against you. They're going to, you know, call your names, be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Or no, I'm not. I'm not batting third. You want me to bat third? I'm a leadoff guy. I think it's tough. I think there are players who probably, this is why it needs to be someone like a name, right? Because if you have someone who's a name, who's had a storied career, I think it's more likely that especially younger players are going to heed your advice, heed your, your in-game management. I think it, it's harder when it might be someone who's not quite as storied as some of these guys. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why, besides, of course, it being a draw for whatever reason, that's why it was these, these bigger names. That's just my humble opinion here on this one. I think it's probably not unlike college where tenure matters. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so if you are a name player, if you were the face of the franchise... You went from being the franchise player to the franchise player slash manager. You're going to have respect. You're going to have that history. But I could also see a situation where, oh, Skip wants to back cleanup again today because he's looking to pad out his RBI total. Mm -hmm. Or he just wants to, he wants to hot dog out there. He wants to, he wants to be the big man on campus, essentially. So, yeah, I think that's, one of those things where you said ego, and I think ego could certainly get in the way, especially if, as a player in your late 30s going up to bat and thinking that you're still 25. Mm -hmm. I still got it. I've gone up against this guy a hundred times. I, I mean, get the best of him. And then you strike out looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the other way you lose locker room, right? Is if you're putting yourself in because you think you're the best person for the job and you're not, and your, your teammates slash players know that, it's not going to bode well for you. I think as soon as you are 
trying to be the glory hog, you're, you're toast. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. The next one I, I thought we could talk about is managers versus upper management, because at some point, as we know, every player fails, mm-hmm. every manager fails, sometimes big, sometimes just a couple cold streaks, right? But if you fail as a player and you succeed as a manager, the front office could still fire you. They could fire half of you. Right. And I feel like that's kind of a weird thing. So to be able to maintain the trust and the delight of the front office, I think is just even that much harder for a player manager. Upper management has put you there for a variety of reasons, right? As a player manager, you're saving money, you're a famous guy who's putting butts in the seats. But at the end of the day, you still have to listen to upper management. And as you can see, you remember watching the movie The Babe? <laughs> oh, the 1992 film starring John Goodman as yeah. Babe Ruth? Exactly. No, I don't know if I'm familiar with that. Oh, no. Did you Did recap you want- it? No, sure. I think, I think actually uh, we can recap it. Wait, you want to go through that again? (laughs) No. So they brought him in as an assistant manager and, uh, you know, he wanted to be a manager. What you're going to get, I mean, upper management is always going to win because they're going to say, okay, we're going to put you here and hopefully you'll attract attention and bring people to the ballpark, help us make money. But as soon as that's not happening or as soon as you're losing, then they have to reevaluate, right? So winning is the best eyewash, right? If you're winning, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if he's struggling on the field. Because I would guess if the man, if the player manager is just mediocre to okay, but the team is still winning, you're probably fine, right? He's probably fine because it means that he's not putting his playing time above the other players, right? It means that right. if the team's still winning, it means that obviously he's doing something right. But if egos, to go back to the other point, if your ego is getting in the way, I mean, at the end of the day, like upper management or, you know, the the suits, the suits have the final say. So it doesn't matter. So, you know, you can you can argue with them all you want. You can get pissed off. But at the end of the day, they pay your bills, right? They pay, they, they give you the paycheck. You're not going to win that one, sadly. That's true. No matter all how right. famous you are. Brace yourself. It's 2022. I know. I said the word. I'm out of the 19th century. But it's wow. 2022. It's the Saber Metrics era. It's all about data. Most players are not data management experts. Mm-hmm. They are not. They certainly know what to do with some of the information that they get, but they're not sitting in front of a spreadsheet. They're not sitting in front of a database. And so I feel that the shift towards data, the shift towards the more cold clinical management style that's dictated by the general manager rather than the the dugout manager does not bode well for the prospects of a player manager, right? Because they, they're just, I think a lot of these guys play by gut or play by memory that I don't like this guy. I know what he's going to throw me. I know what he's going to do. And then they get fooled. So I, I think that's going to be a case where a player manager versus upper management is also going to be a very contentious relationship. I'm going to disagree with you on 2022 and why um, with sabermetrics, you can't have a player manager. I'm going to say you can because of that, because we all know that the managers right now aren't making the decisions. They're pitchers have pitch counts. There's load management, right? So those decisions are being made up with the statisticians, the nerds, the front office. 
they're basically handed a folder, an iPad, whatever, and told, here you go. Here's what you know. This pitcher, after he gets to his 89th pitch, you need to take him out. This guy, don't play him on turf. Don't play him every day. So a lot of these decisions have already been made for them. And much of what managers do now is really keep try to keep the players happy, keep the clubhouse. So I'm going to say, I think, I think you could technically have a player manager. Do I think it'll happen? No, I absolutely don't. But I think it actually might be easier to have a player manager now because managers really aren't making the big decisions anymore the way they were. It's really, uh, there's a plan that they follow and it's a blueprint and they're handed it. And pretty much someone handed it to me. I could probably do it, do it too. I mean, I'm not saying that I'd be, I'd be great at it, but someone has handed me what I need to do. I think it it can be done, but I don't, I mean, I don't think it will happen though. I just, I'd be surprised to see it happen, but I think actually we've rounded so far back that I think it's feasible that it could happen. Okay. So for 2022, a player manager simply needs to be a good listener, a diligent reader, and Mm -hmm. to not leave their iPad on the seat pocket of the plane. Yep. Pretty much. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we hear this all the time, right? That the that the managers aren't being selected for their great in-game decisions. Those decisions are being made by other people. So yeah, I think I think it could happen. Well, I know you're gonna get you're gonna nominate some candidates a little bit later in the episode. So I, I can't wait to hear. And then I can tell you how much I don't like that one guy and that other guy. And I have a oh, problem yeah, with that, that other person. For sure. In 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 true bad hop style. Well, there's one last theoretical battle, and that would be player managers versus umpires. And I think that could get ugly. I'm sure it got ugly back in the day, especially. So let's say you are batting cleanup and you actually deserve to bat cleanup, but your pitcher hit somebody, and then you have to go out and beef with the umpire to protect your pitcher, keep him in the game, keep him from getting thrown out, things like that. You throw some dirt, you maybe pick up a base, throw it at the umpire, maybe pick up the bat and the police come. I don't know, a lot of lot of uh, hypothetical situations here. The umpire is going to remember when you come up to bat, if you acted up, even if it was on your player's behalf, mm-hmm. your strike zone is going to shrink. The umpire is going to make your life miserable. And I think that has to have been a huge factor in how player managers behaved in the past. Again, maybe not a huge thing going forward, but you never know. I feel like if your player manager gets ejected, you just lost two components of your team in in one sweep of the thumb. That's right. I mean, it's not just grabbing the next guy on the bench to manage. Now you've also got to put in a position player, right? Honestly, I think maybe we could just solve this all with robot umps, but... That's not going to happen anytime soon. But yeah, it is it is risky to be in that position, right? Because especially then, I'm there was a lot of arguing and and dirt kicking and throwing and carrying on. So yeah, you could end up very much uh, with a shrunken strike zone. We see it happen all the time, which is why I don't think it shouldn't happen because you're supposed to be impartial and not react. I can see where the, that would be an issue that you're going to end up losing two players. And I'm sure it's, it's, it's happened. It's definitely that it's definitely happened. And you're, there are probably some umpires who they have a very long memory. They're going to remember the next time your team is playing and you might get your strike zone, make it, make it a lot smaller or bigger, depending on the position that you're playing. So, yeah. I think that's definitely, that could be a factor. Could have been a factor. Sure. It was a factor. 
certainly a lot of complicating factors in in making this work. And I, I think as we spin back into the olden times, it was probably a more seat of the pants time, right? It was just sort of like, well, he's a good ball player. He'll be a good manager. I, as an owner, I'm not really going to think about it too much. If we're winning, we're winning. And if we, if we aren't winning, I'm going to fire the guy and I'll cut him from the team. Back in the days when John Montgomery Ward, uh, just I got to get the names out there. You know, I got to do it. You love when, the names. Great when, names John, when John Montgomery Ward. Loved his, who, cam- loved, loved his catalog. Yeah, I, I loved I loved shopping at Electric Avenue as well. And of course, John Montgomery Ward was the player manager. He was a pitcher manager for the Brooklyn Grooms. Mm-hmm. And for one year, they're also known as Brooklyn Ward's Wonders. Okay, that rolls off the tongue. Absolutely. Brooklyn Ward's Wonders. But I think in those days, it was just sort of like, let's just see what happens. We are literally changing the name of our team or we're dissolving teams in a heartbeat. What's the harm in letting this guy manage the team for a little bit? And and of course, now we're more focused on performance. We're more focused Mm -hmm. on player relationships. We're more focused on contracts that would allow a player to continue with a team rather than just being cut at the whim of a baseball oligarch. So, Mark, I wanted to bring up a rule change that occurred because of the player manager. Now, this okay. this, hap- this happened a spell while. It, spell it. <laughs> You'll like this because this happened in the 1800s, and I know you you, you, you like the olden times, yeah. your olden times. Now, this happened in a game in 1877. This happened during a game in 1877. It was the Indianapolis Hoosiers. Hoosiers? How do you say Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Yeah, I can speak. Versus the Boston Bean Eaters. During the game, one of the players on the Hoosiers hit a pop-up. And it was hit by the dugout. Now, the player manager of Boston was a guy named Mike King Kelly. And when he saw this pop-up, over by the dugout, he knew none of his players could get to the ball in time. So he called himself into the game as catcher while the ball was in play and proceeded to catch the ball and make the out. Now, because of that, Rule 5.1a came about, and it states that no player substitutions can be made while the ball is in play. It has to be a dead (laughs) ball for you to make a substitution. But hey, I give this guy props. There was no rule that said that. You're like, sure, I'll call myself in. I can catch it. I'm right here. That's up there with the pulling the the ball out of the ivy at Wrigley Field and saying, oh, no, this is this is the ball. Right. Exactly. Totally up there. But yeah. So, okay, yeah. Mike, Mike King Kelly. Go, Mike go King boy. Kelly. Yeah. I found some other interesting rules, and I, it makes me wonder if the, the days of the player manager are officially numbered in Major League Baseball because both the NBA and the NFL have rules explicitly stating that a player cannot be a coach. Interesting. And a lot of it has to do with salary cap Ooh, regulations. See, you know, it all comes down to money, right? Yep. Yep. That's our parable of bad hops. But if you're wondering why something happened, it's probably because of money. That also extends to pretty much everything else in life, kids. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Lesson learned. Even two years ago, an NFL team lost a lot of players due to COVID or COVID protocols, and they literally did not have a kicker left on their team. 
And so they were taking someone, uh, they tried to promote a coach from their special units or I don't know. Tell me, oh, tell me football I, terms. I re- I remember some of this going down because so many of these guys were were down with COVID. Yeah. So they took a special teams coach and tried to instate him on the team. Mm-hmm. The league and the players union both balked and said, you're trying to get this guy in to play for free because you're already paying him as a coach. And so they wouldn't allow him to do it. And I think they ended up finally having to sign just a total scrub to be on standby. They ended up, I think, got their kicker back in time. But it's like, this was a crisis. This was like a a state of emergency in all pro sports. I was like, no, it violates the salary cap rules. We can't can't let that go. Well, salary cap's important. Yeah. So the collective bargaining agreement, as far as I know, in Major League Baseball does not prohibit player managers. But I'm sure if somebody does really well that somebody with some money is going to squawk and say, eh, we're not going to do that anymore. I can see that coming up or or not. I mean, there are so many other things they need to worry about. Did you know that back in 1997, the Blue Jays were considering making Paul Molitor a player manager? It didn't happen, but there was discussion behind it. I don't know. I couldn't find like, what the final reasoning was, but I don't know if they were just looking to create a little publicity, but... Yeah, that, so there, it was being thought about as as recently. I know it's definitely not that recently as ni- 1997. I did not know about that, but at, 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 I don't know if Paul Molitor would have wanted the job. It probably would have been cool to say, well, now maybe you can be the last player manager in Major League history. Mm-hmm. But hey, would you like a lot more work and not a lot more reward for it? I don't know who's going to answer that and say, oh, yeah, let's. Sign me up, please. Well, I was saying, I think in theory would be more feasible to happen. Why I think don't think it will happen is because of salary and the amount of money. The way these guys get injured, you get a lot more out of them if they were also managing while they were rehabbing their injury. Yeah, I, the way contracts are, the way money is right now, I just, I can't see it. I can't see it happening. I think, I think it would be easier to happen, but I, I don't see it happening. Well, Jackie, let's take a quick break for station identification, and we'll come back for the middle innings. You're listening to the Bad Hops Podcast Network, and we are back. We're going to talk a little bit about who should get the job. I'm going to start off by talking about what kinds of players would make the best player managers, and then Jackie is going to name names. I'm going to name names. I am interested because... I think that we see catchers seem to be the most likely candidate for a manager now. I think we've, we've seen Mike Matheny with the Cardinals and now with the Royals. There are a number of other folks that have been catchers that have moved on to be managers because the catchers are essentially the field captain, right? They, they know all, they see all, they have to be able to manage their pitcher. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have an eye on where the ball is going. They have an eye on where the runners are. They understand possibly better than any other player. Just you know, on average, they understand what, what needs to be done. So I think that there's a little bit more of a tactical mind, a field general. Catchers generally do get the nod as hires. As, as uh, former players that go on to be managers, 21% of people that have moved on to be a manager after having a pro career were catchers. So I thought, well, is that true when we go back to those 221 player managers Mm -hmm. back in history? The answer is no. It it was kind of like, I like this guy. 
he's going to be the player manager or everybody likes this guy. He's going to be the player manager. So only 16%, uh, it's still a a big number, but only 16% of historical player managers were catchers. And maybe it might be a little hard to be focused on personnel issues while you are crouched down, while, while your hips and your IT bands are screaming at you. Maybe you can't focus as much on, oh, who am I going to pinch hit in the seventh inning here? Yeah, no, I could say actually it would be harder if you were still a catcher to be a player manager because there's so much you're already contending with, right? You're contending right. with your your pitchers. You're worried about, you know, the in-game, batting game management between, between you know, the battery right there. I could see where it would be too much, I think, for a, a, a player manager to be a catcher. But I think... Once they're retired, sure, makes sense. But I think during, while the game, is, while you're still playing the game, I, I could see that being tough. That, that's a, that's a lot of a lot of information, a lot of things you have to do and pay attention to. I suppose that would be a sweet incentive package today if you were to say, mm-hmm. go talk to Buster Posey, for example, and say, well, you were a great catcher for us for so many years. Would you like a job that involves a chair? <laughs> <laughs> would you like would you like a nice comfortable seat? You can still lean against the railing at key moments during the game, but what if you never had to crouch again? I consider that a promotion. I would I would accept that job. As would I. I mean, I don't want to crouch again either. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense that why catchers weren't necessarily the the most likely to mm-hmm. to be a, a player manager. I think it, it, there is too much going on. It that exactly the stuff that garners them the skill be effective managers in the future is probably a massive distraction on a day-to-day basis to try to do both. And honestly, most people didn't go to a ball game in the early 20th century to see a catcher. They wanted to see a hotshot pitcher. They wanted to see a big hitter. Yep. And if that guy happened to be a catcher, that's fine. But yeah, I don't like that crouching guy. I want to see the the big lanky guy throw throw a fastball. Exactly. So that's who should get the job by position, but you're going to say who should get the job. And I want to know, I want to know who's on your list. So I started looking at the veteran players that are playing right now, right? Who's, who's a veteran who's been around for a while, who also is a name. There are a lot of pitchers, by the way, there are a lot of old pitchers. There are a lot of older players, but there are a lot of older pitchers, which I found interesting. So some of the pitchers that I looked at you, Justin Verlander, right, with the Astros. He's 39. Rich Hill, he's now back with the Red Sox. He's 42. You've got Adam Wainwright with the Cardinals. Sergio Romo now with the Mariners. He's 39 as well. I'm like, okay, these guys have had good careers. But if we're talking about now, if we're talking about are we going to pick someone in, here in, in 2022 to be a player manager, I don't think I'm picking a pitcher right now. And right. I think it's because, I mean, we know, right? We treat pitchers like they're thoroughbred race horses, right? They are skittish. We we want to manage their workload. We want them to concentrate on uh, on the hitters and what they need to learn about about each team's players. So I think you can't really have a. I mean, you know, feel free to argue with me, but for me, I disqualified the pitchers of today because of that. A lot of great players. Not saying they couldn't be managers, but player managers. I don't know. I'm not seeing it. So then I started to look at the position players. And I also kind of I eliminated the catchers because we have Kurt Suzuki and Yadier Molina, who both are you know veteran players in their in their late 30s. Molina especially has had a storied career with the Cardinals. You could see him managing them one day. 
But again, I think the catching position, it's just too much. There's too much you need to be doing, concentrating on. So I eliminated those two guys, not because I don't think they'll make good managers. I actually think they, they might, but not player managers. So then we had guys like Robinson Cano, not seeing it, <laughs> not seeing it. Guy has, you know, the whole steroid thing. Here's my advice. If you want my advice, <laughs> this is what you do. Go back in the locker room. Make sure no one's looking. <laughs> anyway, blah, 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 World Series. Here I you predict. Go. You go, guys. But I thought that what the perfect position today, when I was looking at this, both names and the perfect position would be like first baseman DH, right? DH doesn't have, you don't have that much to concern yourself about. Like um, these guys. Multitasking. Like, yeah. Yep, exactly. So I'm thinking like Joey Votto. Like okay. could, Joey Votto of, of the Reds. He, he might be a, a good player manager. Albert Pujols. I mean, he's what? He's like 52 now. So, I mean, <laughs> he's back with the Cardinals. Yeah. I'm sure he's going to be a DH. He could certainly, he could certainly be their, their, uh, their player manager. Another one was Nelson Cruz, also 52. He could, um, he <laughs> DHing for the Nationals. He, he could manage them. I think he'd, he'd be fine. It also seems like he'd be, he'd be a fun guy in the, in the locker room. Those were my picks. Another one was Jed Lowry with uh, the A's. He's also a second base DH again position. So these are guys with a lot of baseball knowledge who I think guys respect both on and off the field. And another one was Miguel Cabrera, right? Of the Tigers. He, I could see him, you know, he's a storied member of that franchise. He's first baseman, mostly DH at this point in his career. You, was, you pointed out to me, he's still alive. The other I day, know, and I was right? I was shocked. Good for him. He's <laughs> a survivor. So, so those were the guys that I thought of. Like, but and I, I definitely was looking at through the lens of 2022, not 1877 or something. Like, who and who now? I think if I was going to bring in a player manager, I think those are the guys that I would tap into. Now, first of all, listen. I have mathematically ruled out anyone from 1872 as being a good player manager today because. Well, the game has changed, Mark. Game, the game People wear gloves. <laughs> People are expected to be alive and not fully decomposed. So, yeah, I think there's just some, <laughs> some technicalities from yes. that end. We've um, I just want to point out that you did break one of your own early rules in your thesis. You said that popular players were named player managers in an effort to boost game attendance. Mm -hmm. So I'm Jed Lowry, really? That's, yeah, and I mean, but no, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's a, but I think he's a, he's not at the same level of Cabrera and 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 Votto, but he's definitely he's a good solid player. So I think he he doesn't have like the marquee kind of brand name, but I think he's someone that especially with the A's or if the Red Sox wanted to bring him back in, I think you know I could see him as a player manager. I am shocked that you did not nominate Jazz Chisholm. Well, he, he's, what is he, 17 now? <laughs> he's, he's 17, but scrappy. He'd try hard. He'd be a real uh, hustler. He'd, he'd do, try to do his best. Bless his heart. Well, we are going to talk more about Jazz Chisholm, not this episode, but we need to talk about his mitt. He's going with some really fun and funky baseball mitts this season. Keep, be ready for the all jazz episode coming soon to a podcast wow. near you. Starring only Jackie Micucci. Yes, that's right. I love me a little Jazz Chisholm. He's a fun guy. I, I will just be sitting back eating popcorn. And, <laughs> and all that jazz. And listening to jazz. <laughs> uh, no, I like where you're going with it. Actually, I don't know about Nelson Cruz's skill set. He's a great ball player. I love him to death. I think he's 
of all the people you named, I think probably the best clubhouse influence. Everybody loves to play with Nelson Cruz. Yeah. But is that because he is easygoing and lighthearted and probably then therefore not exactly the best manager? Mm -hmm. Uh, disposition-wise, at least. But I'd love to see that happen. To see somebody that is a clubhouse presence, a clubhouse influence, that also works well with a a GM, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's... I don't know anybody that's gotten crossways with Nelson Cruz. Does he even get hit by pitches? (laughs) I I feel like the opposing pitchers would be like, whoa, no, (laughs) I got a beef against this whole team. But Nelly, you're cool, man. I'm like, let's go and let's go have drinks. I think today having someone that everybody likes and respects it, I think it it works works in its favor. Yeah. Right. It's, the decisions are coming from on high. It's very easy to get to well, not easy, but it's easier to deliver bad news when you're like, this is what the organization has decided. I'm just the mouthpiece. I am not the decision maker. Yeah. Well, give it a go, nationals. Okay. It make make them more interesting of late. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I can't we the were mighty discuss- have fallen. We were discussing who the opening day starter for the Nationals was going to be this season in the 2022 season, and no one could name a national starter that wasn't injured. Good luck, you guys. We're, I don't know, are we rooting for them? I mean, I'm not rooting against them. I think I'm fairly neutral when it comes to the Nationals. That's really the kiss of death in, in any professional <laughs> in sports. Any sport. I'm, I'm neutral on this team. I don't I, hate or love them. I really don't. I don't. At this point, do you want to go buy tickets and go see this team play? Eh. We'll see. What else you got? I have a topic for discussion that this can either go for another hour or it will end very quickly. But the, the question is, can you trust Pete Rose? I think that is a very short discussion. Yes. I mean, he's proven that you can't, which is a shame because he is an amazing baseball player, but guy guy gambling against his team. And yeah, it's it's quite sad, actually. We can make fun of it, but it is honestly, it's quite sad. No, it is really sad. And I, I do wonder if that abuse of power is what killed the player manager ultimately, because it wasn't that a player bet against his team. And it wasn't that a manager bet against his team, but a guy that was clearly influential to his team in so many ways when he was a player manager, if he bet against his team or bet on his team, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what he did. He put money into play when it was explicitly banned. But if a player manager does it, it feels exponentially worse than just if a player did it, which is bad enough for the Black Sox of 1919 or 1918. I can't remember. The Black Sox of yore. Or if a manager does it, which, as we learned with Ty Cobb in the a recent episode as well, that that's no good either. So, but if you're if you're both, it's really bad. I, I thought we had more to talk about. On I, this mean, one, but I, I think I, I the, mean, the answer I, is no. Can the answer is no. I mean, if you could. I mean, I suppose you could de- debate it. But I mean, if we're talking from a player manager perspective, no, you can't trust him. He proved you couldn't be trusted. Um, and I don't think really. I know. I know people like to point that that's like he's the reason for the end of the player manager. But I think it's. It was just. It was circling the drain by the time he was doing that. I mean, it, it, there's too much money in the game. There's too much specialization. So I think that maybe that was a factor, was part of it. But I don't think it was the only reason we're not seeing anymore. Like he was the last of the player managers. I think it is fitting that he was the last <laughs> of the player managers. I think there's something, something poetic about his end there, his uh, Shakespearean <laughs> tragedy end there. 
I don't think he was the sole reason why we're not seeing player managers anymore. So yeah, no, you can't trust Pete Rose. That's it. Yeah. I'm just going to say if my windshield gets smashed by a hailstorm, I'll find a way to blame Pete Rose for it. So yeah, because I can't trust him. Nope. Can't trust him. Nelson Cruz, bring honor back to the player manager. This is like a change.org thing, right? We just, we waste everybody's time circulating a petition. It's Washington Nationals, make Nelson Cruz a player manager. That's right. That's that's the petition I'm signing. There's yeah. nothing else important going on. I'm just going to sign that. Yeah. The Nationals ownership and Nelson Cruz would both team up and say, no, 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 none of us want this. It's like, it doesn't matter. We signed the petition. There you go. Sign the petition. <laughs> Can you trust this outro? No. I, you, no, you can't. <laughs> well, the fans are heading home. The grounds crew is on the field, and we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the stadium organ. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie Micucci. And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at, at Bad Hops Podcast on Instagram and everywhere else. Until next time. Let's make that double switch. Done. <laughs>